everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bryn. And again, another week of me either having really bad allergies or a sinus infection starting. So bear with me while I try to get through today's episode. I feel like everyone's probably like, what the hell is going on with her between the sinus infection or the allergies and the coffee recipes? I'm probably really frustrating some people, but I'm trying my best over here. For today's recommendations, I am watching the same old shit. I'm on my Blacklist kick. I'm on my Fear the Walking Dead kick. And here and there, I've been mixing in some Charmed. So same suggestions as the last couple weeks. I have nothing new for you over here. Apologies on my end. Podcast-wise lately, I've just been rotating between The Vanished, Dateline, and 48 Hours trying to catch up on all of their stuff because they have a lot that I've missed over the last couple months as well as new episodes that are coming out. So those are my recommendations for today. And before I get into the coffee recipe, because yes, I have another coffee recipe for you. I'm so sorry. Before I get into that, I wanted to give a little shout out to listener Paige. She reached out to me on Instagram and she's been giving me a lot of good suggestions that I definitely need to get into and once I actually watch them, I can give some feedback. But one suggestion that she pointed out to me was Dead to Me on Netflix and the reason I wanted to bring that up was because I had started Dead to Me when it was in season one and I completely forgot about it for some reason and thank you Paige for reminding me to get back into it because apparently she told me that there's three seasons now. So I cannot wait to get into that. And thank you for all your kind words and the interaction you constantly send me. I love talking to you as well as every listener that reaches out. Also, strange side note before I continue talking, there is either a nest of birds or a nest of squirrels in my wall opposite from where I'm recording right now. And I hope it's not picking up on mic. But if it is and you hear little scratching sounds or scuffling, that's what it is. A little batch of squirrels or a little batch of birds. One or the other, my nest is now their nest. Happy spring. Moving into today's coffee review, or I should say coffee recipe, I'm going to be giving you the recipe of a salted honey vegan iced latte. And this recipe was found on coconutcloud.net. The ingredients are one cup of almond milk or milk alternative, one cup of coffee or two shots of espresso, and it says to avoid total ice meltdown, let coffee set to room temperature, I guess before adding the ice, two tablespoons of coconut cloud original coconut milk creamer, and I'm assuming if you want to use another kind of coconut creamer, you can, but this coconut milk creamer is what's making it vegan one tablespoon of honey, and one teaspoon of sea salt. The instructions say slightly warm the almond milk, then mix coconut cloud original coconut milk creamer until powder is dissolved, then set aside to cool. Pour coffee or espresso shots over a cup of ice, and remember that is after the coffee has been set to room temperature or has sat until then. And then you're adding honey, and once cooled, add coconut milk and creamer mixture over the coffee. Sip and enjoy. Sounds delish. 
If you try it, please let me know. I don't ever really hear that much feedback on the coffee recipes. Once in a while, if people make a coffee recipe, they'll post it and I love reposting those, but that hasn't happened in a little while now. So if you make this one, please send it my way, feedback or pictures. And will I be making this one once I'm feeling up to drinking coffee again? Uh-huh, honey. That's not me just being a weirdo. Who remembers that song? I know if my brothers are listening, which they're probably not, they know what I'm talking about. And I'm not a fan of the person that sings it, but there was a really funny spoof of it with Seth Rogen. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. Anyways, let's bound into today's episode. See what I did there? Gotta love a good play on words. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Today's case was suggested by Alyssa. And for those of you who have been listening for a while, you all know that Alyssa is a frequent case suggester. So if you want to be in the ranks of amazing case suggestions like Alyssa, send them on my way. And maybe you'll one day reach the amount of cases that she suggested for this podcast. So thank you, Alyssa, again for your suggestion. The case that I'm going to be talking about today regards the story of Mi Quen Chong, who was also known as Deborah Chong, and I'm going to be referring to her as Deborah throughout this case because that was the name that she went by and was known by involving the people in this case. Mi Quen, or Deborah, was 67 years old at the time of this story. She was originally from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And while in Malaysia, she had grown up in poverty. In the 1970s, she moved to the United Kingdom, and she lived in London, England for 30 years. At the time of this story, she had a home in Wembley, which is in North London. Deborah had paranoid schizophrenia, and she took antipsychotics to manage it. She was a widow and had lost her husband in the 1990s. Deborah was described as a very sweet person and her demeanor was quote-unquote childlike. She was known to help those in need, including those who were homeless. And at one point, she even reportedly gave 50,000 pounds, or about $62,000, to help a friend get a house. She was also known as a quote-unquote devout Christian. And around August 2020, Deborah met a woman named Gemma Mitchell, who was 38 at the time of this story, through a Christian church group. They became fast friends, and Deborah believed that Mitchell was, quote, curing her illness with spiritual healing. And that was a quote from Wiki. So that's how Deborah would describe her friend as a spiritual healer, as well as how Mitchell would describe herself. Sadly, there was some regression within Deborah's illness. It seemed as though Deborah began displaying erratic behavior and showed symptoms of her mental health declining. Her oldest sister had passed away four months before this story took place, and that was also thought to be a contributing factor to her decline. This mental health decline included thinking that she was in a relationship with Prince Charles thinking she could talk to Prince Charles through YouTube, sending letters to Prince Charles and then-Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and due to this, meaning the letters, she was referred to a mental health team by the Fixated Threat Assessment Center. I just want to point out that I am in no way, shape, or form mentioning Deborah's mental illness in order to condemn her 
or to make it seem like that was a massive part of who this woman was. I just felt that it is part of her story, so it should be included, as well as it also might have contributed to the reason why Deborah was so trusting or vulnerable or potentially taken advantage of in the way that she was. So it did seem relevant to not only include as part of her story because that was a piece of who she was, but because the perpetrator in this story could have potentially taken advantage of her knowing that this was a little piece of who she was. I'm now going to talk about a little home improvement project that had been going on. Mitchell and her mom decided to put an addition onto their house and they were allegedly screwed over by builders that they had hired. Their home was said to be left without a roof and covered in scaffolding. They said they had lost 230,000 pounds or around $285,000 over it, and another report said 135,000 pounds or $167,000. At some point, Deborah had decided to help Mitchell out because, as mentioned in the beginning, Deborah was such a caring and giving woman, especially to those in need. So, Deborah had decided to help Mitchell out and agreed to give her 200,000 pounds or 248,000 American dollars. However, Deborah eventually retracted this offer. And she urged Mitchell to sell the house and quote-unquote enjoy the money she got from it. So my thoughts with this were maybe her state of mind at the time. First, she could have been in the state of mind to, yeah, let me help you out with that amount of money or let me give you that amount of money or maybe she was convinced to give them that amount of money and then maybe she went into another state of mind where she started rationalizing and was like, no, I can't do that or Maybe that didn't even come into play at all. Maybe at first she was like, yeah, I can do this. And then she thought about it and was like, no, I'm not going to give that amount of money. The rational side of her was like, why don't you just sell your house and then you'll have the money, which I can completely see where she was coming from with that. So reportedly, Mitchell's home was worth 4 million pounds or around $4.9 million. So yeah, Deborah's rationalization to hey, how about you sell the house instead? Don't worry about adding stuff onto it and just enjoy with the money you're going to get from it. Use that money to get something else. I could see where she was coming from with that. But apparently in a couple reports, it had stated that this was a family home that had been within Mitchell's family. So maybe that's why she was unwilling to sell. But this is all speculation on my part. So moving on. June 11th, 2021, Deborah was reported missing. She had last been seen the day before on June 10th, 2021. Police questioned Mitchell and asked her if she knew where Deborah was. She told them that Deborah had actually left by choice, and she said that she was staying with family friends, quote, somewhere close to the ocean. Mitchell expressed that Deborah had been depressed and needed to get away. Sadly, here's what had actually happened on June 11th, 2021. Around 8 o'clock a.m., CCTV footage showed that Mitchell had gone to Deborah's home in North London. She had brought a large blue suitcase with her. Hours later, around 1.13 p.m., 
Mitchell had left Deborah's house with the suitcase still in tow. The suitcase, however, was noticeably bulkier in the footage. It was thought that Mitchell had murdered Deborah and put her body in the suitcase. Deborah's ribs were later found to be broken, and this was thought to be from being placed in the suitcase. Mitchell had also stolen documents from Deborah's home, and these were carried out in a smaller bag. Mitchell had a plan to use these documents, among others, to forge a will. This would be Deborah's will and would leave most of Deborah's estate to Mitchell. The estate was worth around 700,000 pounds or $868,000. CCTV footage also showed Mitchell walking around London, wheeling the bags for at least two hours. She then eventually got in a taxi and took it back to her home. For two weeks after this, the suitcase that contained Deborah's body was believed to have been kept in the garden of Mitchell and her mother's home in Willesden. There is speculation about what Mitchell did to Deborah's body during this time frame, and I'll get into why in a bit. June 26, 2021, Mitchell rented a Volvo car, and she drove to Sulcombe in Devon, which was 200 miles or 320 kilometers away in southern England. This town, Sulcombe, is described as a quote-unquote seaside town, and here she discarded Deborah's body near Bennett Road on a woodland path. June 27th, which was the next day, Deborah's body was found. Her head, however, was missing from her body. Her larynx at the front of the neck and the first two bones that form the spine were also missing. Four days later, police found her head. It was about 33 feet or 10 meters from where her body had been found. Her head was determined to have been removed by another person, not by a way of an animal or other means. A cause of death could not be determined due to decomp of the body, but it was noted that Deborah did have a fracture to her skull. However, no weapon had been found. I had read in some articles that they figured that the fracture to her skull could have been due to a weapon or to being forcefully pushed into something. July 6, 2021, Mitchell was arrested and charged with Deborah Chong's murder. During interrogations with Mitchell, she refused to comment. Moving on to the trial, a plea hearing was set for September 28, 2021, in which she pleaded not guilty. An initial trial date was set for September 26, 2022, but was then delayed until October 11, 2022. During trial, Mitchell's occupation was discussed, which I feel is the only relevant thing to mention about her personal life in regards to this case. She had worked as an osteopath for seven years, and her professional webpage stated that she had been, quote, attuned to subjects in neuroanatomy, genetics, and dissection of human cadavers. And that was a quote from Wiki. Backtracking into her previous education within these studies, in 2004, she studied for a degree in human sciences at King's College London. She had even taken a course named, quote, Structural Basis of Human Functioning, 
and in this class she dissected a cadaver. She had been given an award called the Hamilton Prize for Anatomical Excellence. The trial also discussed the CCTV footage that I had mentioned earlier, as well as the fact that on the night of June 11th, 2021, which is when she was caught on video with the suitcase, the smaller bag, and leaving Deborah's home, Mitchell had gone to St. Thomas's Hospital in London. She arrived at the hospital with a broken finger. So she had her own reasoning for this broken finger, but we can all assume, as did the prosecutor during the trial, how she obtained that broken finger. The suitcase, which was used to transport Deborah's body, was also later found. It had been on the roof of a neighbor's shed. However, strange enough, but maybe not so strange, no DNA from Deborah was found in it, but a tea towel was found in a pocket of the suitcase. The towel was stained with blood, but it was not noted whether this was determined to be Deborah's blood. I couldn't really find in any articles whether the blood was tested. I'm hoping it was. Her defense team later used this as part of their argument, her meaning Mitchell, that the DNA evidence didn't show Deborah being held in the suitcase. They also said that there was no evidence of struggle in Deborah's home. Another thing mentioned was that the Volvo that Mitchell had rented on the night that she discarded Deborah's body had blew a tire during that trip. Funny how that happens. I feel like we've heard this in multiple cases now, including on this podcast. Mitchell had to call AA for help, and the man who responded for AA said that she seemed quote-unquote confused and that the car had a quote, odd, musty smell. He reportedly also saw the suitcase in the car while at the scene. The will that Mitchell forged was also found during a search by police. And in this will, it stated that 95% of Deborah's estate was written to be left to Mitchell. 5% was written to be left to Mitchell's mother. Mitchell had also taken, quote, the identity of a deceased neighbor to forge documents in an attempt to inherit 95% of Chong's estate, according to police. And that was a quote from Oxygen. So not only did she murder Chong and try to change her will to leave it to her, but she also used the identity of a deceased neighbor to try and do so. During the time that Mitchell had told police that Deborah was staying with family friends, Mitchell had also sent a WhatsApp message to someone staying at Deborah's home. In this message, she said the same thing. She also had contacted a missing person's charity and made a false report around when Deborah's remains had been found. In the email she sent, she had included that Deborah had told her, quote, she felt neglected and was staying with family by the sea. And that was a quote from CBS News which is really disturbing because, if you remember, her body was actually found in a town by the sea. October 27th, 2022, Mitchell was found guilty of murder. Her sentencing was televised, and this was, quote, the first convicted murderer in England and Wales to be sentenced in live television, as well as the first woman in the UK 
to have her sentence filmed. And that was a quote from Wiki. Mitchell was described as having shown no remorse for what she did and during her sentencing. She still maintains that she is not guilty and her true motive has not been disclosed. However, and this is all a quote, quote, Detective Chief Inspector Jim Eastwood, who led the investigation, said, The motivation for Gemma Mitchell's actions was money, and she showed a significant degree of planning and calculation as she attempted to cover up her horrific actions. The cold facts of this case are shocking. Deborah Chong was a vulnerable lady. In the weeks before her murder, she was seeking help for her declining mental health. However, Mitchell, so desperate to obtain the money she needed to complete the renovations on her house, sought to take advantage of Deborah's goodwill. But when Deborah changed her mind, she callously murdered her and embarked upon an attempt to fraudulently obtain her estate. And that was a quote from The Guardian. Mitchell was sentenced to life with a minimum of 34 years and she will be eligible for parole in July 2055. And that is the case of Mi Quen Chong, a.k.a. Deborah Chong. And I wish there was more I could give in regards to Deborah and who she was as a person and the beautiful life she lived before it was taken, but that is all I could find in regards to resources about her and the wonderful woman that she was. And in regards to the information that I brought up about Mitchell, which I said was the only relevant information, with her studies and her taking part in dissecting human cadavers and such. The only reason I brought that up was because clearly she had an understanding of the human body and what she ended up doing to Deborah was completely awful. And she probably thought she had this expertise in it, which she somewhat did, but She used it in a completely foul and malicious way. And I, in no way, shape, or form was saying anyone who works on a cadaver would commit a crime like this. Carson and Kelsey had both worked on cadavers within their studies, but I just thought it was an interesting tie-in, as did the court system because they brought it up during trial, with her background leading up to the act she ended up committing and what she had done to sweet Deborah. Thank you again to Alyssa for suggesting this case. I had never heard of this story before and I am so glad that as horrific as it is, I now know Deborah's story. So because this case was a shorter one, I do thankfully have a listener's story for you all today in order to make the episode A little more maybe upbeat at the end, don't know, haven't read it, and a little bit longer for you. So here it is, another listener's story coming at you from listener Nicole. She goes back again. Here's another. I'm writing in a flow, it seems, which thank you, Nicole, for writing in that flow. I hope you get in that flow state again soon because you are the listener story queen right now, and I will begin her story now. From the ages of 5 to 18, I lived on a religious retreat center that used to be a boarding school. My family ended up moving into this facility after my father had lost his job. As part of our living arrangements, we were to oversee the property, my father being almost a sort of security. 
preventing trespassers from roaming the property as it looked abandoned most of the year until the groups would come and bring it to life. We lived in what used to be the dean's apartment of the old girls' dorm, which was the nicest of the places to stay. When a group would come, you could hear everything through the thin walls, conversations of passerby, children playing in the halls, and worst of all, people deciding to sing at six in the morning. The only thing separating us from the public was our laundry room door, which connected to the main hallway. The building consisted of a lobby, three stories of dorm rooms, the home economics room complete with functioning sinks, a chapel, and the laundry room. The laundry room sat right above our apartment. Occasionally, we would use the barely functioning machines for the linens of the nicer guest rooms that were reserved for the pastors. Only my family and the manager of the property had access to the laundry, and anyone who wanted to be let in had to contact one of us. For years, I would hear the sound of clacking of stilettos on linoleum floors directly overhead. The sounds of someone in the laundry room pacing up and down between the six washing machines. In my mind, it was the red heels of a woman dressed in her best church attire, waiting for the machine to finish. Ooh, I have chills already, Nicole. Almost like the anxiety of waiting for a machine to finish but never did manifested into the sound. For the first few years, my dad would go up to investigate to find no one there. Everyone heard the click-clack of stiletto heels when we first moved in, but eventually it was just me. Every once in a while, it would get so loud I'd go up to investigate. Surely someone had to be there. It was so loud. Only for the pacing to stop when I opened the door to nothing but barely functioning laundry machines. Ooh, spooky! Thank you, Nicole, for writing that in. That was so great again. I love all these spooky stories. And for listeners who listened a couple weeks ago to the yearbook one, she had actually sent me photos that she found and it is creepy as hell. And I told her I still need to know more. I have to. Like what is with the photos? But now I'm wondering who this woman was in these stiletto heels just still doing her laundry in the afterlife. That's crazy. I want to know so much of this history to this building. I wonder if there's, like I said, like an archive somewhere of just this in- the entirety of this building because you have so many cool stories surrounding it. Please keep sending them in. I love them and I'm sure the listeners do as well. So great listener story. I don't think I have anything else to discuss and just like last week, I am on a struggle bus with these allergies or this sinus infection or whatever the hell it is. So I think I will jump into the spiel. You can find Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. That's where I post pictures of coffee reviewed. Any of the cases that have been covered are in the highlights week to week. You can always look back at the highlights to look at past episodes, past coffee reviews, any important announcements, any merch information, which If you want to make that coffee recipe from today in a Crime Colts and Coffee mug, there is a very limited selection left of the My Crystal Ball Says You're Full of Shit mugs, and I don't know when I'm going to be restocking the mugs next. We shall see, depending on demand, and there are still 
sweatpants and sweatshirts available, tanks for the summer, etc. But the mugs are on low. Linktree is in the bio on Instagram. It has most of the listening platforms that this podcast is on. If you go to Facebook at Crime Colts and Coffee, that's where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action included in the episode for that week. And calls to action can also always be found in the show notes with the episode you're listening to if there are any. So please make sure to check those out. And if the episode does come with a call to action, do your part, please, and do that call to action if you are capable. If you have a listener story like Alyssa did today, or a case suggestion like Nicole did today, or any recommendations like Paige did today, you can email me at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or DM me at crimecoltsandcoffee on Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it. Listener stories especially. I have a full-blown list of case suggestions right now that I'm trying to slowly make my way through. I will always gladly take more of those, obviously. But the listener stories, like I've said in past episodes, is where we're lacking. If you would be so kind to leave a rate and review, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, if your listening platform allows you to do so, I know this is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I will send you free stickers, but not only that, my heart will be so appreciative of you. This podcast will be so appreciative of you, and it really helps me to not only gain feedback, but to see what you all think with these episodes come out each week. And if you're listening to a platform that does not let you do that on any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. I appreciate all of you so much. I love these spooky stories that I can insert here and there. I love the case suggestions and bringing attention to these stories. And until next week... regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook